This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. In a short time span before the birth of Christ, a mixture of pagan worship began to infiltrate the Jews and infect Judaism to form a, a new religion of mystery. Rome was a superpower, and the Roman Empire was beginning to stretch its mighty arm against many countries, bringing with it the ancient worship of the many gods and the demigods that the Romans served in their temple, and many gods that were acquired through the conquering of many other nations. As Rome was growing in power around 100 BCE, this new mystery religion began to form. By the time that Jerusalem was entirely under Roman authority, around 63 BCE, this mystery religion had formed into a growing threat to those who tried to uphold the law of Moses. Like so many false religions and cults today that are based on mystery, this religion came in the form of worship of Yahweh. There were many teachings in the new religion that were absolute truth, but they were mixed with chains and bondage of idolatry. Its earliest form was called Merkabah mysticism, one of the earliest forms of Jewish mysticism. This form of pagan worship was based heavily around visions, specifically and especially those found in the book of Ezekiel. The chariot that Ezekiel saw in the vision was heavily amplified in this new religion, and worship of the stars found in pagan worship was mixed into their doctrine. The new interpretation of Ezekiel's vision by these new cult believed that the four beasts that were in the vision represented the four signs in the heavens, which would later become known to us as the zodiac. The zodiac was predominantly used by both Greek and Roman worship, descended directly from Babylon. Each of the planets in our solar system were believed to be deities, and this form of pagan worship was not original to either empire. Many of the gods worshipped by the Greeks were also the same gods worshipped by the Romans, just having different names. Because the focal point of this form of mysticism being based on Ezekiel's chariot, 
chariot. The first form of Jewish mysticism would later become known as chariot mysticism. And like some teachers today who stray from the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity, Jewish mysticism was a very attractive cult that was quickly gaining popularity in the ancient world. In fact, it spread its reach far beyond Jerusalem and started creeping its way into the early Christian church. Chariot mysticism took specific portions of scriptural text and then amplified them out of context into much greater meanings and concepts. This earliest form of mysticism heavily stressed the visions of heaven and the throne room of God, much more emphasis placed on the mystery than on the love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that there were the reasons that the law was given in the first place. Scrolls were written with these mysteries as the focal point. It is believed that this is the form of mysticism under which the book of Enoch was written. In fact, the third book of Enoch is known as the Markabah Hebrew book of Enoch. The other two books found in the scrolls of Enoch are debated. Some believe they are Merkabah, while others believe they're based on the Hecalot mysticism. Hecalot mysticism focused on ascension. Literally translated, it means palaces. And it goes hand in hand with chariot mysticism. Together, they're known as the books of the palaces of the chariot. But again, Hecalot mysticism focused on the mysteries of what will come. Those mysteries were greater importance than the goodwill towards men that we should have while our mortal bodies are on earth. They're very damaging sects of Judas tradition, taking away from the focus of the good things that God has given us and turning our eyes towards the things that we just cannot yet have. The odd part of these ancient texts is the fundamental elements from the early Jewish mysticism that can be traced from many of the Christian cults of today, all through time, directly back through those texts. And it's not just the teaching, even the structure of the cults seem to align with the structure of the early pagan influence. According to Rabbi Ami, 3rd century, the secret doctrine was not for the hands of the common believers. They were not allowed to question. Only those who possessed the five qualities of Isaiah 3.3 were allowed to debate or discuss. Isaiah 3.3 in the Torah says this, Captain of fifty, and man of esteem, counselor, skillful craftsman, and one who understands secrets. Moreover, fear tactics were employed to keep any from questioning. Many legends or myths of those slain by God for questioning or trying to understand these mysteries are described in Measha Markabah. In one such fable, a young man who had not yet achieved the five qualities stumbled onto the meaning behind Ezekiel's wheel, and he was consumed by fire just for overstepping his bounds. It's odd when you consider many of the rapture theologies that are given by cult leaders of our time. Just as Jewish mysticism, the focus of religion is more to the effect of where we're going and 
when we're going to get there rather than how we're going to get there. And since no one knows the day nor the hour, this is really speculation anyway. The early forms of Jewish mysticism combined together over time. It's difficult to trace where and when because other pagan forms of worship, such as Gnosticism, were also added to the mix. These multiple forms of religious worship went underground for a period of time and later um, emerged in the form of Kabbalah in the 12th to 13th century southern France and, and Spain. Like Buddhism, Kabbalah is not re regarded as a religion to any of those who follow its teachings, and it's believed that you can follow the teachings of Kabbalah with any other form of religion you practice. And by nature that is correct, because many of the doctrines were influenced by pagan worship on the early Jews and Christians. And while many of the New Age cults and religious separation promote their teaching as strictly based on the Bible, you'll find that many of them oppose orthodoxy. Orthodox Christianity is a threat to them because it excludes any teaching that is extra-biblical or that is amplified into a new form of worship. It is believed that Paul's writings to the Colossians contain many sections to combat mysticism. The Colossians were quickly growing to believe many of the teachings of early mysticism and had been infiltrated already by Gnosticism. The most evident statement against these new cultist religions is found in the second chapter, Colossians 2. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Also interesting is the mystic prophetess that seems to be the origin of the divine healing in the latter rain movement named Jane Lead. She was a study of Kabbalah. One alternate spelling for Kabbalah, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, is Kabbalah, C-A-B-A-L-A. And in one of Jane Lead's writings, A Fountain of Gardens, it contains this statement. The word Kabbalah, C-A-B-A-L-A, -A, then run much through me. That's from Jane Lead, A Fountain of Gardens. This section of writing goes on deeper to explain what this statement means, but then it ends with this declaration on the following praise of mysticism. To such as the divine Kabbalah do stand with the ruling scepter of faith still in their hand. Thus says my Lord, did most freely commune and open the sense of mystery in the word Kabbalah, upon which we are obliged to attend diligently, retreating therefore from all that ter terrestrial is. It's also from Jane Lead, A Fountain of Gardens. Lead's influence spread far and wide. Her prophecy of the coming manifestation of power in the church and the influence of her Philadelphian society a religious sect, was the beginning of a theory called dispensationalism, an extra-biblical teaching that God manifests himself just a little bit through time in different dispensations. Thomas Bromley, a member of the Philadelphian Society, wrote a book entitled Treaties of Extraordinary Divine Dispensations. 
and that writing would later influence John Darby promoting the same doctrine. As this mystic influence began to spread, many men and women that Branham revered and respected started to mix mysticism into their doctrine. Clarence Larkin, the man that, that Branham copied the dates for the seven church ages from, was a dispensationalist. In fact, the entire seven church age teaching itself was based on Jane Leeds' teachings. Men like Charles Price, who Branham spent a great deal of time with in California, were known followers of Leeds' teaching and prophecy. But like the ancient Jewish mysticism, William Branham would take this idea of taking a single scripture and then amplifying it into a greater form of worship. Many new and extra-biblical doctrines were introduced by William Branham, almost all of them based on a single passage of text. It would fill an entire book to cover all of these, but just to highlight a few of the most commonly believed extra-biblical teaching, and for time's sake, we will only list a few. Branham added the idea that the dispensations should have messengers associated with them, and handpicked men of old to be these great messengers for their age. One such messenger was Columba. The big mistake that the cult does not want you to know about. Columba was not alive during his church age. Branham forgot to confirm their dates of birth and death before pinning them to the tail of a church age. Directly from Jane Leeds' prophecy, Branham promoted the idea that we must have an end-time messenger. And that has essentially replaced the speaking of the Holy Spirit to our hearts. You see, in Branham's theology, the Holy Spirit that guides us is not enough. We must have something more, some man of great power and spiritual ascension. Also from Lead is the idea that this new deliverer would be a Gentile, not a Jew. Lead was from England, and many of the cults that have risen are like her. Lead promoted a theology that is based on her own locale. The serpent seed doctrine that Branham promoted is a teaching of Kabbalah. Coincidentally, it's also found in Jane Lead's prophecy. Lead writes this, And as Eve did suck in the serpent, venom, and introduced it into the first Adam, and thereby corrupted him and involved him in the same transgression, whereby there was a going out, a dividing from God the eternal root, which the banishment out of paradise was pronounced, and an exclusion and loss of the kingdom and dominion. So does the virgin, virgin rise in her room to draw and feed upon that tree of life, having tasted the virtue thereof, gives to her chosen and elected mate, known and assigned to stand in the room of him that brought sorrow and the curse. That's lead from Signs of the Times. Listen to this title, Signs of the Times Forerunning the Kingdom of Christ. This forerunning the kingdom of Christ prophecy spawned many men who claimed to be forerunners. William Souders, who had a strikingly similar baptism commission as the forerunner to William Branham, was one such man. Joseph Smith, John Alexander Dowie, Charles Taze Russell, all men who Branham revered and respected promoted themselves as forerunners. 
It was this extra-biblical doctrine that spawned off several other doctrines that cannot be supported by Scripture. Some of them include the Bride Age or the Eagle Age, Rapturing Faith or the Word Bride, Manifesting Time, and more. The worst and most harmful doctrine that you won't find in Scripture is the squeeze. This doctrine was also promoted by another cult leader that you'll be familiar with, Pastor Jim Jones of Jonestown. It was this one single false doctrine that caused the death of his entire following in South America. They all committed suicide. In examining this these extra-biblical theologies, I'm always amused in remembering the blog Two Message Ministers, specifically their post claiming that William Branham was sola scriptura, or by scripture alone. Many around the world promote this idea, and they promote it only because Branham said that he was, not because they've actually examined a single teaching according to the scripture. There are many many other extra-biblical doctrines that are springing up. Some new ones are, were not even promoted by William Branham, but are newly invented to mask the idea that Branham's prophecies have been proven to have failed. One such invention is this new blind faith, that you must accept it by faith, my brother. It only looks to have failed. God is involved in this great cover-up scheme. The most degrading extra-biblical teaching was William Branham's Thus Saith the Lord claim that the Bible says that men should divorce their wives if they cut their hair. Mix that with the, the degrading statement that God will not even hear the prayer of a woman who has cut her hair. And you have an unchristian-like authority pronouncing false judgment. Others include the, the extra-biblical idea that Jezebel was stoned for a little pain around her eyes rather than leading the children of Israel into idolatry. Or that John the Baptist was stillborn until he heard the name of Jesus. Many to this day believe that the Apostle Paul saw a pillar of fire in the wilderness, which is not found in Scripture. Others believe that when God met Abraham in front of the tent, God's back was to the tent and he used his discernment, just like William Branham did. The Bible says that Sarah was in the doorway of the tent standing behind Abraham. The list goes on and on. Like the ancient Jewish mysticism, the people are attracted to mysteries. You see, our minds like puzzles. But if the puzzle has no answer, we like to cheat and find the answer guide. And to many, William Branham was the answer guide. But they do not realize that at times he gave the wrong answers. The book of Jude is a very short book, almost not enough to even fill a scroll. But it has some very astounding words. It's interesting because the book of Jude references the book of Enoch the very form of pagan worship that it is condemning. It's almost as though Jude is reaching out of the pages, trying to snag this mysticism and strangle it before it can spread any further. Many have asked me, why do I continue to expose William Branham's lies? Why don't I just focus on preaching the gospel instead? Why do I continue exposing the lies of a man? Why can't I focus on something else? 
Jude explains why he didn't change his focus. He writes this, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you contending for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The Gnostics had crept in. The mystics had crept in. Ancient forms of pagan worship and idolatry had infiltrated the church of God. He says this, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In other words, pay attention. Your life depends upon it. He, write, he continues, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh. They reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce judgment on a blasphemous judgment. He said, The Lord rebuke you. In other words, Michael is just an archangel, not God. Don't worship the angels. This is Jude speaking. But these, he continues, these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe unto them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the gainsake of Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam from their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom and utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is the most astounding paragraph in the book. Listen to Jude. If you won't hear me, hear Jude. Examine the doctrines of these men. They're ever-changing, constantly. They're tossed to and fro. They're not grounded in the scriptures. And they will seem like loving pastors, loving shepherds. They're sitting right there with you. Jude continues, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand 
of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. And they have committed in such an ungodly way in all of the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Listen to how many times he uses the word ungodly. He said, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Boasters, loud-mouthed. Pay attention to the tapes. Listen to the stories. Examine them and see what we have. I heard a comment recently describing a man who casually overheard Branham screaming like a madman into the microphone of a recorded tape. The guy actually thought that this person was listening to a tape of Hitler. It's the same tactic. Scream your subjects into submission. This last part shocks even me. I can remember the many, many times that William Branham spoke about the scoffers that would rise, following their own lusts and passions. And it sounded very much like he was agreeing with Jude. He was the one telling us they would come. Branham was. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said unto you, In the last time there will come scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Jude is calling out to us from the grave, through his scripture, begging us to listen to him. The apostles have told us there will come scoffers long ago. Yet this is what Branham promoted to try to focus the people on his ministry. Not scoffers against Jesus Christ and Christianity. Scoffers against William Branham. And yet Branham is the one who caused divisions in the church. He separated himself. He promoted separation. And Jude says that he is devoid of the Spirit. I'm going to end this with the last chapter of Jude, last section of Jude. There's nothing that I can say that's better than what Jude writes. Jude tells us, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, not in a prophet. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. In other words, have mercy on those who question. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show others mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forever. Amen. Amen.